Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. David Novak, it's great to see you again. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kula Callahan. Let's go. Today, we're taking a deeper dive into your conversation with Diana Murphy. She's the managing director of Rock Solid Holdings and the former president of the USGA. This conversation is so much fun. She is a mastermind at collaborating and bringing a team together in order to achieve a big goal. You know, when you meet a people person, you know it. And she is an incredible people person. She's got great instincts, great empathy, knows how to galvanize a team. Lots of great insights in this conversation. It's definitely a fun one, David. And if you haven't listened to the episode, be sure to go back in the feed and tune in to last Thursday's conversation. Today, though, we're doing what we do on every Three More Questions episode. And I've got three good ones for you, David. Are you ready for it? All right, let's go. Question number one. In your conversation with Diana, you ask her what she looks for when recruiting a CEO for a company. She said she looks for someone with integrity and authenticity, someone who is aligned with the value system of the company, and someone who can recognize their own strengths and weaknesses. Now, David, if you were on a search committee for a new CEO, what characteristics would be most important for you to look for? Well, I certainly agree with all of Diana's observations, and I would just add a couple of things. I would really want the CEO or, or any leader of any significant business to have what I call as the uncanny combination of confidence and humility. You know, you got to be confident. Nobody's going to follow you unless you have this air of confidence about you that has a sense of, that gives people a sense you know where you're going. But you also have to be humble, humble enough to know that you don't know everything, humble enough to know that you need other people because your people will sense that from you. Nobody wants to work with someone who thinks they're the smartest person in the room. And I'd add a couple more things. I think when someone comes into a new company, you want to be confident that they're going to respect the history of the company, uh, you know, really understand what the core business is, how it got to where it is. But they know that it's their job to stimulate progress. And, and it's a nice balance of the two. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you want to come in and really take the organization to places that it's never been before. And you can't do that by just doing the same old thing over and over again. So I look for a uh, CEO to, to really bring a fresh perspective and have the ability to, to communicate in a clear, simple fashion so people know wh where they need, need to go. And I just think communications are absolutely critical for uh, any leader. And, you know, I want the CEO of any uh, company that I am a part of to be able to stand up and give the big speech and get people motivated and fired up on what the reality of the business is and what you need to do to take it to the next level. It's interesting, David, nowhere in that response and nowhere in Diana's response to your question in the episode, do you mention that you have to be an expert in the industry of the company that you're taking over? What's your take on that? Does someone need to be an expert in that specific field in order to be a talented CEO who gets big things done? I think there are people who've been very successful CEOs staying within the industry, and there's people who have come in and and totally from outside the industry and really been enormously successful as well. 
Alan Mulally, for example, came from Boeing to Ford. He'd never been in the auto industry, but he had all the requisite skills you'd need to, to move into uh, from one area of transportation into, into another. So relevant industry experience, I think, is, is really something that might give you a faster start, but I don't think it's a requirement. I think what's a requirement is you're a leader, someone you're able to evaluate a situation, analyze what needs to be done, and then take people with you to, to, to make it happen. And, and one other trait that I would say is the best leaders that I would look for someone that really values the fundamental trait or behavior that your company is known for. And like at Yum Brands, for example, recognition was a key behavior. And if I was interviewing somebody that I didn't think that could really take recognition and make it exciting and fun as, as a leader, uh, I, would, I would want them to go to another company versus come to Yum Brands. Okay, question number two. At about age 28, Diana led a sales force of several hundred people. And in the episode, you asked her what the secret sauce is for motivating a sales team. And I loved her answer. She said that having a group goal and celebrating when you hit that goal is what keeps a sales team energized. And you'll have to listen to the whole episode to hear exactly how they celebrated. But Diana really knows how to motivate a team to hit a sales goal. And David, for the sales leaders out there listening to this episode, what advice would you give to them on how to keep their sales team motivated? Well, I do really like the idea of having a group sales goal. You know, one where, you know, everybody works together and collaborates because they know that nobody gets to shore unless the Queen Mary does. Something like that, I think, is, is, is really key. But, you know, people become salespeople because they are driven to, to get individual results. And one of the things I know that Diana did is she made sure that the salespeople that really delivered the goods made a lot of money. That's very important to salespeople. So I think you have a very strong incentive structure that allows people to make money on, on the sales that they bring in. This is not an organization where everybody gets paid the same. You want your highest performers, you know, getting paid the most. And I believe that you rack and stack them. I think you, if you had 100 salespeople, I would rack and stack everybody on there so people would know that you're the top salesman and they know you're the worst salesman. Because I guarantee if you're at the very bottom as a salesperson, you're going to work your way up or try to work your way up or end up going somewhere else. But I think healthy competition is a really good thing. So it's a real balancing act. You want to have a team goal that gets everybody rowing the same boat together. And at the same time, you got to have an individual performance structure that pays off for the people who really deliver the goods. All right, question number three. Diana shares that before she really learned how to lead well, she learned a whole lot from leaders about how she didn't want to lead and manage people. And I loved your follow-up question to Diana when you asked her what to do when you work for someone that you don't like. And David, I'm curious about your approach to this situation. When your leader or manager isn't the type of person that you want to work for, what do you do? I think you do the same thing that you do for the people that work with you or work for you. You coach first. You hope they change. If they don't change, if they work for you, you ask them to go somewhere else. And if they don't change uh, as a boss, you know, you decide to either go somewhere else in the company where you can work for somebody else where you think you can learn more 
or you end up uh, moving on. Um, now, the good news for me, Kula, is I never work for a bad boss. One of the great blessings that I had is everybody that I worked for was really good at what they did. They ended up either becoming a CEO or a functional leader. And so I never had to, to work for that proverbial bad boss. But I did have bosses that needed to get better at certain things. And I think one of the things you need to recognize when you work for somebody is your job is to make them better. How can you help them be the best possible leader that they can be? For example, I had this guy that I worked for who I loved, but he had this problem that anytime anyone ever came up with an idea, he said that I was thinking the very same thing this morning when I was driving to work. I was thinking the very same thing when I was taking a shower. I was thinking the very same thing when I was walking down the hall to see Buddy. I was thinking the very same thing. You know, this guy was always thinking what we were thinking. I thought this guy, he, he might even be Jesus Christ for all I knew because he <laughs> knew everything that I was thinking. So I went to him and I said, you know, you are a really smart guy. Everybody knows why you're the boss. Everybody knows that you deserve the job. But you'd be so much better if you gave people credit for the ideas that they have. And, and in fact, you'd be so much better if you you gave them credit even if it wasn't their idea, you know. But but really do something to let people know that you listen to what they have to say and you're secure enough to take their ideas and run with them. It really saps you when you come in with an idea and you say, I've already thought about this or I was thinking this or that. Well, you know, that's just not the way how it is. And let me tell you something. I gave him that feedback and he turned around and all of a sudden you know, everybody said, what happened to this guy? He's a different kind of leader. And you know what? He was a different kind of leader and he became a better leader because he gave people the credit and he celebrated other people's successes and ideas as much as his own. But he showed a security that he didn't show before that made him even appear and be more confident. And it really improved his entire leadership package. That's so helpful, David. I think a lot of people are hesitant to coach up, meaning hesitant to offer feedback or coaching to their boss or their manager. But that story is a great example of how just some simple, direct feedback can make a difference, not only in the relationship you have with your boss, but in the effectiveness of that leader for the entire organization. That's why, Kula, you, it's really important for you to interview whoever's going to be your boss. When you're really in the process of moving to the next job, yeah, you want the job, you want to move into the company, but you can't be desperate. If you, if you know you're going to work for some jerk, you're just asking for trouble. And you, so you got to interview that boss. And if that boss doesn't convince you that you would want to invest in him and help him or her become better, then don't go there. You got too much to offer. You'll get another job and you'll work with somebody that you'll have a heck of a lot more fun with. But believe me, it is a miserable situation for people when you go in and you're working for somebody that you can't stand and you know they're not invested in you and you're not invested in them. And that is a formula for disaster. Well, I sure am glad I interviewed you before I took this job, Mr. Novak. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did too. And it seems to be working okay, Cool. Thanks for doing another great job. Well, that does it for our episode today. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead. 
We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well. And tune in Thursday for the best of quarter three episode. Cool and I will highlight key insights from all the great leaders we've had on this show this quarter. So you can listen in on an episode that's jam packed with leadership wisdom. Don't miss it.